Hi, my name is Marcia Chatlin. I'm a professor of history at Georgetown University, but more importantly, I'm the host of Office Hours, a podcast. This is an opportunity to get a window into my world where I talk to students about the things that are most important to them. So please join us for Office Hours for the things we don't talk about in class. So I'm super excited, Alex, for okay. this week. I am going to own it. 3.0, which is yes. Georgetown's signature summit. I serve, I guess this is a disclosure issue. I serve on the, um, I guess the advisory board of Own It. But You're on the advisory board. I am, which means advisor. Helen Brosnan and I get to chat about everything. But um, this is just this incredible day we have on campus that's about women's leadership and it's about all the different forms it takes. Yeah. And I think that this is like such an interesting time to think about a a woman running for president who might win and then all of the places that we see women really making a space for more women and then just this incredible culture of sexism that (laughs) is so pervasive and is so hard to dismantle. So I don't know. I, I think that one of the takeaways from my conversation this week is just about how confusing everything is. Today on the podcast, I talked to Georgetown senior Helen Brosnan about Own It and 2016. Hi, Helen. Hi. Thank you for joining me. I'm so, so thrilled to be here. I'm so excited. You know I like to talk a lot, so I'm, I'm know. thrilled. Let's try to like stay as focused as possible, but it's not going to happen. Definitely. Um, tell me a little bit about your winter break. I've been asking students, or does it feel so far away? It feels, it feels really distant, um, but... I, for the first time in a really long time, went home and did strictly nothing. I had the, like, no computer policy thing, so I tried that out for two weeks where I just didn't look at my computer. Are you joking? No, it was revolutionary. And your phone, no email? I did phone. I did phone, and I, like, didn't really respond to email. So I, I either pissed a lot of people off, but I, like, calmed <laughs> myself, so it was a selfish thing, but it was it was great. So I just, like, hung out at home, and yeah. New York in the wintertime is amazing. New York in the wintertime is amazing. It's very, it feels a little bit more peaceful than normal, so it was really beautiful. Excellent. Um, so yeah, I did that. And so then you had this really like zen experience <laughs> over break, and then you came right back to Georgetown. <laughs> exactly. And the two things that probably are all of your emails mm-hmm. are Own It, which mm-hmm. I would love you to tell our listeners about, and then about your participation in the recent Iowa caucuses. So let's start with Own It. Yeah. Tell us all about it. Cool. Okay. Um I will give a brief history because I I can ramble on this. Um, So it started, I guess, about three years ago now um, by myself and a really good friend of mine, Kendall Seesmeyer, who graduated last year. and really, it started, I mean, it started out of a friendship. The two of us were, like, total nerds, and on Friday nights would watch videos of Gloria Steinem and Maker's videos. How and is that nerds? I don't understand <laughs> what you mean. You mean that's not normal? I mean, that's, like, every day for yeah. me. But anyway. Anyway, um, so we, we thought it was, I mean, actually, it's funny, because we thought it was the norm, right? So we were watching these going, like, oh, doesn't everyone do this? Doesn't everyone know these women exist? Um and so we sort of had this common bond, and we just looked around Georgetown's community, and it was kind of odd because so many women run the clubs here and the organizations here, and it's really incredible, but it's not, um, I don't think it's easy to infiltrate. And then I think even going beyond Georgetown, I think we saw a lot of people graduate, and it was like such a weird stepping stone for women to take and to go out into the real world, and it just surprised me. I, I, I guess I lived in a bubble when I was a freshman where like everyone has equal opportunities, and mm-hmm. it's all great. Um, And then that was sort of coupled with 
this big rise in the women's leadership space where all of a sudden it was like sexy and cool to like women leaders. What a surprise. Um, but in sort of a negative way, I think it rose, um, where like Fortune's magazine was putting on these summits that cost $8,000 to attend to and Women in the World, which they all have great intentions and Women in the World actually is a really good production, but costs hundreds of dollars and they don't pay for anyone to get there and no students are allowed. And it's for sort of all women who are already friends and you're kind of just talking in a circle. Um, and it was bizarre. So there was sort of no opening there. So we were like, all right, let's just create our own <laughs> version of this um, and let's have it be directed at young women because that's who needs it most, I think. Um, and I think a lot of these awesome, awesome, awesome female leaders stand up on stage and say, I want to help and I want the next generation to be prepared and I want them to fill my seat. Um, and that never really gets to us. And that's kind of this weird disconnect. So we saw this gap between sort of our generation, millennials, admiring these women. And then we saw these women who are leaders and there was really no physical space actually to meet and convene and talk um, and share stories and sort of also just like celebrating each other. I know that sounds cheesy and we really try and avoid the word empowerment. And I'll talk about that a little bit later, but um, really just sort of be in a community of celebrating women, womanhood and, and being able to kind of share experiences and, and feel like you're among similar minds. Um, so yeah, so we created it then. We had our first inaugural summit. We had about 400 attendees at Georgetown. Um, and that was, yeah, exactly three years ago. And then it blew up after that. And we had, just in that year, six schools, six other universities across the U.S. request to do them. And we were like, what? What do you mean? What does that mean? What are you talking about? It was so hard I doing it in, here. I believe in Silicon Valley they call that scaling. <laughs> yeah, so you scaled up. Very unfamiliar with that concept. <laughs> um, but so I said, sure, yeah, great. That sounds lovely. Um so we've now grown, we have about, yeah, we have eight schools um, operating their own uh, Own-It chapters and doing their own Own-It summits. Um, and we put on our um, second annual summit last year. So the Georgetown Summit's kind of like the mother load mm -hmm. home summit. Um, and that doubled in attendance, which was wonderful. Um, and then now we're in our third year and our summit is coming up on April 9th. When you talk about kind of seeing women leaders, you know, say, we really want you to be here and not feeling connected to them. That is actually even, I find that a little surprising because mm -hmm. I think of Washington. I think of why women come to Georgetown. Mm -hmm. I think about the women we have on faculty mm -hmm. as exemplifying a certain type of very, very important women's leadership. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, it's like even women who are on this campus don't feel like they have access mm -hmm. to some really good feedback from that. And so in thinking about how you viewed women leaders growing up. Mm -hmm. Who are the women that you saw as these are the types of women I want to be? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Um, I'm going to be maybe simplistic or cheesy, but I have always had a Hillary Clinton affinity from when I was young. I actually lived briefly in the town she lives in, Chappaqua, and mm -hmm. I remember when they moved out of the White House, I stood outside on their street for like four hours in 20 degrees. I have a picture of it, of me holding a sign saying, Welcome home, Hillary, and everyone else on the street had Welcome home, Bill, and I was like, No, Hillary's coming <laughs> home too. Like, I just, I, I don't know if it was... I just think she was the first woman where I saw, like, holy crap, that woman's going to lead our world. Like, I could, mm -hmm. I, I, wow, oh my gosh, I look like her, I could be her, she sounds like me. Um, so I've always had a real soft spot for her. But beyond that, I think I've 
I've really looked up to, you know, I'm, I'm interested in politics, so one of my, like, big political idols is uh, Rep. Barbara Lee. She's awesome. She was a single mom. She's the only um, representative that voted against the Iraq War. She's just been a real trailblazer and, like, sort of given everyone the middle finger when everyone else was, like, telling her, <laughs> no, you should do this. And if you ever watched the Shirley Chisholm documentary mm-hmm. with Kendall. Amazing. When she talks Obviously. about seeing Shirley Chisholm right. run for president and be like, you know, what can, what can I do? And she's like, you need to register to vote. She's like, I'm going to do that, right? And so it's about a kind of intimacy. It's, mm-hmm. about, it's, a, it's a kind of relationship that pushes women forward. Totally. And so in, in thinking about the women who go to own it, who are the women that are in their orbit? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, that's a really good point. And I think, first off, it takes... We're asking a lot of these women. Like, I recognize, I'm like, wow, you have fought through so much in your career as a mom, as a woman in your job, you know, just as someone trying to get to a position, not necessarily get to the top. We try not to use language like that because, you know, this is all about sort of training leaders. That's what we say, like training the next generation of leaders. And leadership takes a million different forms. We're actually doing a panel on motherhood and sort of what that looks like in the context of that being your primary career or whether you've taken Mm. time off or chosen to be a mom or sort of all different aspects. I'm really excited about that because I feel like that's something we haven't explored and I've definitely gotten pushback on because like, Mm -hmm. hi, hardest job in the world. (laughs) (laughs) We're not talking about it. Um, Mm -hmm. But anyway, my point is, is like we, I recognize we are asking a lot of these women to have like intimate, deep relationships with young, eager, excited girls. Um, but we've they've risen to the challenge. Like, mm-hmm. it blows my mind. I think I was so pessimistic at the start of it, which makes me sad. But I think I was pessimistic only because s- these women are exceptions to the rule. And I was like, you know, they're going to not be generous with their time. And it's going to be hard to get everyone. And we have women come every year and stay from 8 a.m. to 6. And we're like, can you please leave now? Like, there's nothing left for you to do. And some women that stand out who in the past, um, Megan Smith, she's the White House chief technology officer. Mm-hmm. And just and worked at Google and was a big executive there. And she comes and like dances on stage with everyone. And the amount of people I've heard who she's followed up with and had a real relationship with is like at least ten or twenty girls that attend our summit. I mean, that's incredible, incredible mentorship. Um, Rochelle Parham, she was a big executive at eBay and is a big voice in in the Silicon Valley community. And she's another one. Like she's given girls jobs and internships and had them shadow her. And it's just a real like putting your hand out um, and it's kind of not that that just that fake sort of intimacy but yeah there's been definitely women over the years I mean all of them just for coming and staying and so when we think about you know I I went to like a women's empowerment I don't know what recently and it's like you know there's this like weird tension by saying it's 2016 shouldn't we have gotten over this it's like well destroying patriarchy takes a minute Um, and at the same time there are some generational inflections Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. One generation that would have been, like, totally okay with a panel on motherhood, another generation would be absolutely right. not. Like, I don't want to hear it. And, totally. And so when you think about the conversations you have among your peers about what they're seeing and what they think hold women back, what are some really, like, specific things that you and your friends have noticed already mm-hmm. or are seeing, you know, or, or think about when, your own, when you think about your own careers? Yeah, no, that's a, I, I think about that question all the time, just in sort of forming these 
the, the content for it. And I think also the more this has gone on, the more intentional we've tried to be about it because I think at first I was like, all things for women are good. Everything that's promoting women is good. And that's just not true. Um, and it, 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 that was sort of how we operated at the start. And it's been really interesting because we ask ourselves all the time, like, what are we trying to get out of this? And what is the hurdle? And is it just women need equality? No, not necessarily at all. Um, for us, it was even something simple, as simple as language, which isn't simple. Um, and I think I always treated language as kind of like a, a, a second priority and how we talk about it and mm-hmm. the questions we ask. And like even this year, I, I just looked at all of our programming and our website and I was like, we never say feminism once. Like, that's mm-hmm. crazy. I mean, I just... And this is someone who I'm sort of, I think, maybe considered radical, and then I think everyone's a feminist unless you choose not to be. Um, but you're born that way. <laughs> you make an active choice to choose otherwise. But it was interesting like that I had even not felt comfortable sort of making that our public face. Mm-hmm. Um, so even like this year, we sort of established a bunch of pillars and on where we stand um, and, and looking at what the hurdles are. And I, I would say, first of all, a stigma about talking about these things openly mm-hmm. and making demands for yourself. Um, we talk about this all the time as young women, like actively saying, no, you know what? Don't speak to me that way. And it's sort of this like having side conversations after something uncomfortable happens oh, to you. Oh my gosh, which is is bad in and of itself. Right, exactly. All. And it fosters, because you don't talk about it with the men that did it to you or the woman that intimidated mm-hmm. you or whoever you felt sort of victimized against. You talk about it with your friends that you feel comfortable and you're preaching to acquire and it never gets anywhere. Um, so I feel like that's sort of our first hurdle is like having these conversations, having them seem mainstream. Um, and another thing that's really interesting, which I've definitely talked about with you before, is like in terms of intentionality and how you go about these things, who ends up on the main stage? Mm -hmm. Who's in front of 800 people and what conversations are you having? They can't just be the lean-in conversation, you know, it can't just be the, like, women have it all. I call it brace yourself. (laughs) You're just, like, leaning in and then you're just going to just brace yourself. And, you know, God bless Sheryl Sandberg for 100%. the million things she, she did. But like leaning into what it's asking exactly? too much. It's, leaning into it's what exactly? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, and I just think it's just brace yourself. I agree. I also think work-life balance is a, a big joke term, and so, a silly term. But but we're not talking about that. We're talking about just these ideas about like what what does it look about. like and what's right. confusing. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. The confusing thing is is totally fair. And for me. Like, it's funny, I remember we were thinking about how should we open the summit and I don't know how to, you know, frame this. And we ended up just sort of saying, like, the language that's out there for women right now and what people are telling young women to do is so confusing. Like, it's like, Mm. lean out, lean in, sleep more, drink more, don't drink, (laughs) have a boyfriend, have a husband, don't have... I mean, it's like... Uh, you know, advance your career, get paid more, get paid less. Like, it's just, what's, what? Opt in and opt out. Opt it's in. so confusing. One of the best books that I've ever read about the specific topic of young women and yeah. feminism and motherhood is Opting In by, mm-hmm. um, I think it's Amy Richards. We'll put it on the website yeah. under um, homework. Um, it's just about this idea that, you know, that... All you are doing is spinning out in your confusion yeah. because the world will give you every mixed yeah. message and then expect you to meet every expectation. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I felt when I was your age. I feel right now at my age. And the messages are so confusing and so inconsistent. Yeah. And there's no space for you to just be something else. Exactly. And I think that's what we try and say. Like, And I, I always joke, own it for me, whatever day that is, is literally the best day of my year because I'm like, it's a fairy tale land where... Mm-hmm women are equal and you can talk about these things openly and like talking about your period on stage in front of 900 people is really relaxed and everyone's nodding their head and I wish every day was like that but it's not so I think we try and create like it's a physical manifestation of Mm -hmm. what we hope one day will be possible 
Um, but we always say to people, like, this is a comfortable space. Like, don't wear a suit and don't bring your resume. And mm-hmm. wear sweatpants if you feel comfortable in sweatpants. And, you know, just come and be yourself. And I know it sounds cheesy and trite, but it really is, like, you're not encouraged to just own where you are currently, mm-hmm. figure it out now, and then proceed. Like, there's, it's, it's, you're asked to do all these directional things before you figure yourself out. And, like, people are saying that to you when you graduate, and that's the most confusing time ever. Like, how about you sort of soak in all the advice and then figure it out instead of, like, do this, do that, do that, and then you know, and figure out who you are. I don't know. It's I feel like we ask a lot of young women, and we don't give them sort of the proper advice, and it's mixed messages, and it's not consistent. So I think that's one thing we were trying to do is, like, we're really not trying to, like, give you a specific directional path. I obviously don't have it. None of these women have it, but... You know, here's sort of a smorgasbord of women who have taken really nonlinear paths. Mm-hmm. Hopefully one of them relates to you. Um, and then you can connect with them on that level, if that makes sense. That makes so much sense. <laughs> but we don't, we don't have enough of it. No. And so when you think about your experience at Georgetown mm-hmm. and kind of understanding it as it comes to its mm-hmm. close, what do you think college would have been like for you if you didn't do Own It? Yeah, that is, that's a, I, I don't know, a vastly different and probably lonely. Um, I always joked that I never wanted to go to a sorority or fraternity school or Greek mm-hmm. system school. I just knew it wasn't really my MO. So I was super excited that Georgetown didn't have that. Um, but then it was really funny when I got here, I was totally craving a community of women. I went to an all-girls high school. And so, again, I lived in this fairy tale la-la land mm-hmm. where I was like, what? You have to put on deodorant and brush your hair and put on makeup <laughs> in real life? Like, what is that? I hate that. Um, and it was great. I mean, it was the most formative four years mm-hmm. of my life. I owe everything to doing that. But when I got here, I was in for a total culture shock because I was. it wasn't that there were boys here and I was scared. It was more that I didn't have a community to fall back on of mm-hmm. just women. Um, so own it's been that for me. So I think, I don't know if I, if I didn't have that, I think I'd probably be really frustrated. I think the other thing is, is in a really selfish way, it's been a nice like outlet in figuring myself out. Um, and I look at the first year, like the way I talked about a lot of these issues and my understandings of them were so not complex, which that's true for most freshmen, I would say, but it's been such a huge again, like just learning curve and learning experience for me and an understanding of my own like personal definition of feminism and how I look at female leaders and what type of female leader I want to be. And all of those questions have sort of been answered for me. And that has been like the most unbelievably valuable experience. I mean, just being able to go to these women and say like, wow, I'm really confused. Um, can you help me with this? And I've gone to you for that a million times. Like it has built this unbelievable community of just like, I'm, I'm confused. Can you help me? And it's just mm-hmm. a safe space. And Again, you know, that is so unbelievably valuable, and I think that's why the expansion to other schools, while it's been scary and kind of, like, haphazard at times, it's been worth it because I go to a city and I'm like, oh, my God, there's 20 women here who do own it, and I'm just in Boston right now, and mm-hmm. I'm going to connect with them, and they understand me, and, you know, that's that's been a really powerful part, the community aspect. What does own it look like on different campuses? Because I think... Um one of my favorite parts of my job is I go to different campuses. Mm-hmm. I might be saying the same things, but totally different yeah. response, different dynamics, different feelings for students. And I think it's interesting that you talk about kind of being confused on a campus mm-hmm. like Georgetown, which is all about clarity and certainty mm-hmm. and being on a path and making those decisions. And so when you go to own it summits at other campuses, what do you notice that's different? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um I think it's tricky because sometimes it's the sort of like equity of it all is out of your grasp. Like the first year, one of our schools, 
we had a panel on like beauty and makeup and it was a breakout panel and like 10 people went to it and it wasn't the theme of the conference but I remember just feeling rubbed the wrong way and I was like whoa 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 that was out of my control for a second that's so not in line um and another school was trying to charge a lot for tickets and our like huge component of our entire thing is accessibility and we charge $15 for everyone and anyone can get it covered if you want it covered um and they just didn't really understand that as a tenant and it mm-hmm. sort of taught me a lot about like wow you know building consistency with these things but on other campuses, it's it's taken sort of a similar form in, like, this community, um, and it's wonderful because I used to have this joke freshman year where I could spot a girl that went to an all-girls school because, like, mm-hmm. her hair would be kind of messy. She'd probably have, like, her own <laughs> bangs that she cut. Like, maybe she has, like, a dyed streak of hair or something. Um, and I feel like I can spot, like, own-it mm-hmm. women now. There's just kind of this, and it sounds so bizarre, but it really is. There's, mm-hmm. like, an air of just not really caring and sort of being able to ask questions really abrasively and... Um, so yeah, so it looks similar but different, and it's nice to be able to see them adapted to their campus. Um, like Wash U, uh, when they did theirs, they did a lot with women in sports because they had this brand new. Um, they had a lot of problems with Title Nine there, and then they had this brand new pro- uh, program with women in sports. So it was kind of cool to mm-hmm. have them. Like they kept saying, it was so nice we have this space to address this. Like we all just got to like scream about it and talk about it and have experts come in, and I, it was kind of a cool um, solution to see own it own it fill that. So. What does it feel like to have created this thing and now it's time for you to graduate? Sad, sadness, sad tears, so many tears, yeah. floods of tears. But um, it's also been, it, it's, it feels okay because there's now this, like, we call it the lady mafia, which I'm sure is just an, an inappropriate phrase in a lot of ways. <laughs> but one of our speakers said it the first year, Kara Swisher, and she was like, I feel like I'm at the annual meeting for the lady mafia. And then we were all like, sure, okay, yeah, we'll be a part of that. <laughs> So we use it jokingly now, but I feel like we've created this army of young women mm-hmm. who, um, you know, freshmen and sophomores who have kind of come up in the ranks. So I feel like it's in great hands. We have, like, a, an incredible team of people. But it's sad, but it's also I'm excited to actually be able to spend more time um, on looking at, like, our other programming and expan- expansion and, and not have to focus so much on the nitty-gritty. We're starting sort of a mentorship program, and that'll be launching in a couple of weeks. Um, so just being able to spend more time on that. And for our listeners who can't make it to own it, what yeah. are going? Um, can you tell us a little bit of the highlights now? Are there any totally. confirmations that you want to share? Yeah, um, yeah. There's a few. Yeah, um, we have one. One woman I'm really excited about, and this is on a panel about sort of trailblazers, so women who have taken their industry or just a product and really flipped it on on its head. One woman who I've I've been obsessed with for a long time. Her name is Mickey Agrawal, and she's sort of a serial entrepreneur. Um, but she just started Thinks, which are these like period forward. Oh underwear. my gosh! Yeah, it's, that's cool. all my Facebook is. Yeah, yeah, are like different approaches to your. They period. had really controversial yeah. ads where they tried to mm-hmm. put them on the subway, and people were like, "What? You can't talk about that!" And they were like, "Yeah, yes, we can." <laughs> so she's coming, and she's going to talk about that. And her best friend's actually coming with her, who started the largest, uh, largest organ donor system. Um, and they're best friends. Yeah, of course so they are. Really cool. Um, so that I'm excited about. And then we're doing a women running 2016 panel. Mm-hmm. Um, so sort of the journalists and staffers behind the the election. Um, and then other, I'm trying to think of other major highlights of people you'd be excited about. Um, I don't know. Uh, Megan Smith's coming again and we love her. Nora O'Donnell, she hosts CBS this morning. Mm. Yeah. So we've got, we've got a really, really good, good lineup. Um, and there's a lot of, we're talking about a lot of 
political aspects in the election. And then we also have a big panel on activism. So that'll be cool. Um, And sort of looking at the rise of student activism. And then also um, this interesting lens of mothers who do activism, who Mm -hmm. do it as their other job. So that's kind of one of our big main stage conversations. So I'm so excited. It's going to be good. I can't. I can't. (laughs) Okay, so you are. So while you're like running this kind of like multi, you know, like multi-thronged like side project and so has anyone ever approached you to be like we can make an app for own it and we'll scale and like we'll monetize and vc and like (laughs) i mean as words could you could you make a gazillion bucks off of this model Uh, i i don't know we actually did it's really interesting you mentioned that we had a company come to us who sponsored us in the past we try not to have too many corporate sponsors because that's not really what it's about but um We had a company come to us and say, like, hey, we can buy this up and can we use this as, like, our women's leadership initiative inside, you know, for as our company. Um, And we were like, no, because we want it to be student driven. And that's kind of a big aspect of it. But it's actually something we've looked at um, just in terms of infrastructure and being Mm -hmm. able to expand well. Um, I don't know. TBD. TBD. Um, I think the hard part is finding, like, a company or an organization that you align with really well and having it not just be this, like, buzzy women's leadership kind of you know, silly thing. Um, and I think that would be the thing I would be most nervous about is, like, handing it off to someone. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. All right, so... Wouldn't Trish, be mad about making a few bucks. A few gazillion yeah, dollars I'm, uh, I'm, Okay. Yeah, limited budgets Silicon as I graduate. Silicon Valley, you can contact <laughs> the in your court <laughs> to get a hold of Helen. All right, so... And while you're doing all this, you're trying to get Hillary Clinton elected president. That's true. And tell us about your experiences at the Iowa caucuses. Yeah. Had you been to Iowa before? I had never been to Iowa okay. or that part of the country That's before. That's terrible. I'm, sorry. I'm like in a, a I'm really so obnoxious angry. New Yorker. I know. Oh, my gosh. Yes. There's a place <laughs> other than New York. No, I mean, I think that that's, as someone who's from the mid- mm-hmm. Midwest, went to college there, and who's lived all over, I feel like if I if a foundation would like to give me money for this, also Silicon Valley, you can donate, um, a fellowship to send kids from the coast to the yeah, Midwest I support to that. know what life is like you know like these towns and I and I think about it in the context of when a lot of students wanted to organize in Ferguson mm-hmm. and they really couldn't conceptualize mm-hmm. like an exurb that's really chronically totally. like you know dealing with like these county city issues and it's not St. Louis and it's not quite a suburb totally. and so I think I think that's good. So anyway, your first trip to Iowa. Yeah, it, gr- it was wonderful. Um I had never been there before and it, it's exactly what you're saying. It was kind of, I, I honestly didn't have that much of a reason to go. I, I wanted to go because I thought it was historic to see the caucuses, and I'm involved with one of the campaigns a little bit and hoping to work for them full-time when I graduate and have just done volunteering in the past for campaigns and think it's really a lot of fun. Um, and I had a friend who's from there and was caucusing, so it was sort of all serendipitous, but I went. And it, it to you know, to your point, like, I, more people need to see those parts of the country because that's where people vote and that's where really sad things happen and really awesome things happen and that's where grassroots organizing takes place, um, whether it's around a tragedy or Mm -hmm. whether it's around a political election. So it was cool to actually see and meet the people. Um, It sounds cheesy, but, you know, democracy in action. Mm -hmm. I got to observe um, a caucus in this historic precinct that actually pushed Obama over the edge in 08. 
um, Johnston Five. <laughs> Shout out to Johnston Five <laughs> Middle School, um, where it took place. Um, and my friend Scott was actually caucusing there. Um, and the first woman that showed up, she showed up two hours early. Her name was Barbara, and she was uh, 92 years old and has mm-hmm. been caucusing, has seen 20 presidential elections, lifelong Democrat. Um, and she came, and it was just wonderful. She was like, I just want to sit and observe and see all the kids come in, and was shaking everyone's hand. And there's something actually very magical and kind of like tear-jerking about watching people get excited and feel like they're a part of history mm-hmm. and a part of our democracy. So that was, like, really unbelievably wonderful. And I ate a lot. I ate so much food, and I enjoyed all of it, and I am totally going back to Iowa you based on the food alone. Yes, I Everything did. Everything was fried, and you're like, I haven't had a vegetable in months, and I don't and care. And on day three, yeah, I was going to say, day three, I was like, oh, I'm feeling really bad. Day four, I was like, nope, I'm, re- I'm into this. I love this. <laughs> I'm never through. turning back. Yeah. <laughs> we need to get you to a state fair. We need a I fellowship know. to get you to the Oklahoma State Fair. Right. I used Done. to go I'm to the Oklahoma in. State Fair with my husband and stay six or seven hours at the state fair. Oh my God. Then we went to a state fair in an unnamed state on the East Coast, and we were so angry. We're like, like what this is, is this? a state <laughs> fair, I don't know what it is. It's a lie. I remember when I voted um, in the 08 election mm-hmm. for Obama, and we went to a predominantly African American part of Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. Obama was not going to win the state of Oklahoma, mm-hmm. but boy, were people going to turn yeah. out and be part of this historic vote. And there's this incredibly long line, and people are talking about voting. And the woman in front of me talked about caucusing for Shirley Chisholm oh and gosh. how powerful that was. And I had that same feeling, like, oh, like, after the, like, asinine things on cable news that campaigns are putting out and the, like, attack ads right. and the, like, you know... The contentious debate on Facebook. There are people who are really believing in this process, mm-hmm. and I think when we start to feel like um, cynical about the whole thing, we have mm-hmm. to remember, like, oh, people have to physically leave their homes right. and they have to make this decision. So, what were some of your kind of takeaways from being part of a historic caucus, which yeah. really hasn't been framed that way? It, it's historic in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, first woman winning the Iowa caucus, even by, by a small margin, a Democratic Socialist winning and getting a huge mm-hmm. population. I mean, turning tons of people out that wouldn't have voted mm-hmm. otherwise. Um, everything about it, it was really, mm-hmm. really incredible. Um but yeah, some of my takeaways are, I mean, first of all, organizing matters. Like, people say that it doesn't matter. The doors, I mean, every single door matters. I talked to an O'Malley supporter for a really long time, and he was so sweet. And I was like, God bless you. Like, good for you, dude. And by the end of it, he was like, you know what? Thank you for laying out her policies in a really concise way. Like, all I hear is people sort of screaming about it, and it's kind of nice to have this mm-hmm. personal human connection and talk to someone about it in a civil way. And that, like, made my whole trip. And I felt like that I had a similar experience when I was at the caucus where I was watching people it wasn't even I wouldn't even use the word argue it was just like hey can you explain to me why you're voting for Bernie mm-hmm. Sanders and some nice old woman would be like sure let me lay out my five points and it's just which it's is lovely amazing and it's this discourse that you don't see online I mean like mm-hmm. I, I, it makes me really sad because I come back here and I see sort of all this like Facebook activism and Facebook anger and social media anger and discourse, which is wonderful that people are participating on some level, for sure, but it also feels so far from the truth, which to me, the truth feels like these voters in, mm-hmm. in Iowa and, and states like that. Um, so takeaways are that organizing definitely matters, and the, shout out to all the organizers in 20 degree weather, like, doing this every mm-hmm. single day. I was there just for a few days and, and felt tired I'd and cold. And I'm like, yeah. I can't believe anyone does this forever. Yeah, at all. Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York, actually, I was at a canvassing location, and he just, like, walked in the door and was like, hello, everyone, I'm going to canvass right now. And we are like, okay. And he did it for, like, an hour and was like, I'm tired. And everyone was like, yeah, we've been doing this for <laughs> days, months, but thank you for coming. Um, so, yeah, so that was probably my biggest takeaway. I also think, like, this is going to sound 
sort of like a really general blankety statement, but being nice to people matters. Like the yeah, people no of Iowa kidding. and the Midwest are so kind and it's not about even getting your way. You just want to talk to people. Like mm-hmm. I, I went to a Rubio rally and a Trump rally and a Carson rally because I wanted to see what it was like and see what types of supporters were there and what they were talking about. And it just, I don't think people here would be willing to do, I think there's a lot of people mm-hmm. who are like, oh God, it would never, it would never be seen in that room. And you're like, you know what? That's a huge part of the population who feels just as frustrated as you do mm-hmm. for probably really similar reasons. I mean, you listen to the dialogue around it, people are upset and distrustful and that's on both sides of the aisle. Um, and I had so many enlightening, wonderful, kind, you know, conversations after and before these rallies with voters that really changed my perspective on the whole thing. Like, it gave me a very new sort of nuanced um, view at why people are upset and why people are feeling like we need a revolution. Um, and I, I think that might be a Midwestern thing and maybe it's just mm-hmm. a caucus thing in general, but that was sort of my other We're big takeaway. We're unusually kind people. Oh, my gosh. People are so nice. The amount of, like, pies people were just offering. Like, people just had pie <laughs> everywhere. And you're like, where'd the pie come Where'd the pie come from? <laughs> and they're like, hey, you look sad. Like, do you want this pie? Like, you look really tired. There's just kind of free stuff all around. There's a lot of carbs. People are hugging you. It's so <laughs> nice. It's really nice. So when I have the opportunity to say, oh, my gosh, Helen went to Georgetown. <laughs> She's running in 2032. Oh, she yeah. was on this podcast, yeah. and we used to talk in office hours. <laughs> what are the platform issues will I see on your campaign? Oh, my gosh. Thank you for asking that. Um, because my roommates get to hear that every day, but no one really does. No one else. <laughs> and it's, it's funny. I, I really do appreciate you asking that because I feel like I've sort of had this coming out recently where I've like admitted to people that I want to be a politician, and That's it's like my so deepest, awesome. darkest secret. Isn't but, that awful? Yeah. And someone said to me, it was, it was a, a mentor of mine, actually, who's been in politics for a really long time. And she was like, I know you secretly want to be president or you want to be, you know, stop saying you want to be chief of staff. She's like, you want to be president or you want to be senator. You don't want to be chief of staff, which is even if mm-hmm. you want to be that, that's great. But she was like, no one will help you get there if you don't just say it out loud. And she was like, you oh my start gosh. saying that. And my I was best like, oh. friend, Elizabeth Pickens, just had this conversation with me yesterday, no hours way. ago. Oh my She's God. like, why are you already saying like, no, I'm not going to do that. I was like, because <sighs> I'm scared. I, I'm scared and people are going to judge me. And, mm-hmm. and people are going to think I'm up to something. Right. And when a woman is up, I'm to, up something, to a scheme, it's bad. I'm scheming. I'm not, and, and can I tell you how much yeah. I worry about people thinking that I'm not being genuine. And so, oh my God, are we having parallel syndrome. process? Yes. But it's like, it's like, well, if people think I'm ambitious, then they don't think I'm genuine. As if those are two different things no, that right. are like so 100%. opposed to each other that you're either one or the other. Right. And I, and I, this is like college, you know, graduating senior scariness. And so I know it's on a much more minor level, but I've totally felt this where I'm like, I can't really say it out loud because then people, every time, I, every interaction I have mm-hmm. or every move I make is directed towards this one goal, which like, if it is okay, mm-hmm. go, good for you. It's likely not going to be. So that's crazy. But, but yeah, I've sort of started trying to be a little bit more forthright about like, I don't want to be a career politician. I'm not that interested in politics to do that. And I think it seems really boring to do that. But at some point, I'm a b- big believer in, you know, sort of public service actually affecting change. I think, like, you can sit on the sidelines a lot, but at the end of the day, some people need to run for office. Like, mm-hmm. I look at DeRay running for mayor of Baltimore. Why and I'm not? like, thank God. Like, I'm just like, why yes. Not? I literally was so awful. Uh, and people are like, why well, is he detracting from the movement? Oh, my gosh. Like, just like, ah, he can do no. whatever he wants. A, he can do whatever he wants. And B, like, that is where a lot of change mm-hmm. is made. And, yes, politics is evil sometimes. And, some and there's a history of people in the civil rights movement, folks. There will be books on the website. <laughs> um, running 
slates and running yeah. platforms. Like yeah. the whole book, Black Power, is about right. um, Lowndes County, Alabama, right. and people running candidates. Black Panther Party in Oakland running candidates. It matters. It so matters. It's it's a it matters for, from a visibility standpoint. Absolutely. It matters from a platform standpoint where mm-hmm. you get to put yourself. I mean, and again, like I look at him running, and I'm like, thank God he's going to get more exposure now. I mean, mm-hmm. he's gotten exposure in a community and outside of that, but this will mm-hmm. even a bigger platform. So I, I I see that as like really powerful when people run for office, and I am like a big believer in that. So. So, yeah, so platform issues, sorry, back to that. Um, Honestly, my number one, and I hope this stays with me for a really long time because it's what I I care about the most is prison reform. Mm -hmm. It's something I sort of got involved in a few years ago, um, kind of during my time at Georgetown. I've done the prison tutoring program here, but I've been lucky to take classes where that's been the topic area, and Mark Howard, who's a professor here, um, has been wonderful and sort of mentored me in that area. And it's actually sort of culminated in this big project called the Prison Reform Project um, this year where we get to go to Jessup, which is a correctional mm-hmm. facility in Maryland, um, and go there once a week and interact with a bunch of the guys there for about four hours and sort of come up with this. We co-learn together and come up with a proposal at the end. And we're actually, we might be creating a podcast with some of the guys where we record our phone calls with them. But it's, it's, anyway, it's sort of my interest is in the rehabilitative aspects of that. And I hope that would be um, one of my big campaign issues. Just in general, and, and again, you know, this is maybe too big of a theme, but I just, it's so interesting to me that issues about marginalized populations of people, like people who are really in the shadows of America, Mm -hmm. aka incarcerated men and women, are, that's such a niche issue. I love how those are treated as niche niche Mm -hmm. issues, and I'm like, hello, those are the people being treated the worst. How is that not our primary issue? Mm -hmm. And I also think it's so interesting, because take something like prison reform, and it's chicken or the egg, you know? People Mm -hmm. say, like, I'm not gonna, I I don't want to help some woman in prison who committed a crime who's open about committing a a crime. None of these people are saying, like, I mean, some of them don't believe they did, but some of them completely admit to it. And then you think, well, she has now three children out in the world who don't have a mom, so don't try and tell me that she's not important and you're not gonna care about her. Um, And I I try and look at all issues that I care about that way. I look at reproductive rights really similarly. That's probably my other big thing I care about and can talk hours about, because it's like, People say, you know, don't worry about uh, abortions and don't worry about reproductive justice in general and birth control and contraception. And then it's like, but then what? <laughs> then worry about the child that's going to be mm-hmm. born into this world without healthcare and education. And I just, it seems so silly to me to not look at, you know, both sides of the the issue. So I think all those will be up there for sure. Um, yeah, definitely. And really anything that affects marginalized populations of people and, and looking at the root cause and not just mm-hmm. looking at sort of what's on the, the, the cover of it. Um, so kind of going to that uncomfortable place, like I think prisons make people really uncomfortable and abortion clinics make people mm-hmm. uncomfortable and running on that sort of platform. And even if I lose, which I probably will, but <laughs> I would, we'll start I there. Would I'd rather start radical <laughs> and have to, you know, maybe concede mm-hmm. a few things that I don't care about as much, but I think sort of starting middle and then forcing myself to go more left is crazy and I've seen politicians do that and it makes me really sad so I'll be the the like pacifist crazy feminist <laughs> candidate that's gonna lose over and over again until I finally push through but um shout out to everyone at Georgetown that's already committed to being on this future campaign oh my gosh so, it's gonna be so I'm making fantastic. people sign I literally I have so many smart <laughs> friends I'm like just can you just sign this piece of paper please for your limited salary job one day um so, in thinking of the kind of the big picture, yeah, um, of all of these things that kind of started on campus and who you are now, mm-hmm. one of the questions that I've asked everyone as to close out the conversation 
is that if there's one thing about you that um, you wish your professor had just kind of known, or what are some of the things that you wish like professors just knew about what it's like for you to be a student, what would what would it be? Oh my God. Do people like stop and start crying when you ask that? I'm I'm like verge of I'm like what? This is a reflection on my time. Um, God, that's a really really difficult question because I've had that moment a lot where I'm like, if only, if only I could just send them an anonymous note. Um, I think, I think it's that, you know, you're a student but you're a person too, sort of thing, which I'm sure a lot of people have said. But I always wish I could hand my professor like a combination of my Twitter timeline and then also, like, what my parents think about me. Like, kind of this, like, hi, here are all these human aspects about me. I swear to God I'm not, you know, what you think of me as. Um, I don't know. I guess I guess it's that I care. I think a lot of the times I, I know my – I'm gotten to a point where I'm maybe too self-aware. By the time you're a senior, you're, like, hyper-aware of all your insecurities because so many people have pointed them out <laughs> in, like, in trying to help you, and then all of a sudden they're wrapped up, and you're like, whoa, I know everything that people don't like about myself, about me, but that's okay. Um, and I guess, yeah, it's that I care because I think I can, I tend to come off as, like, apathetic in an a- academic mm-hmm. setting because I am so enthusiastic or try to be in other settings related to politics or different issue areas I care about. Um, there's this favorite quote, my favorite quote by Sarge Shriver, who I love. He's like a really underdog political icon of mine. But he always said, I'll never be accused of not being enthusiastic because like he just walked into a room whenever he was dealing with politics, really, really, really like passionate about his issue area. And I just sometimes it doesn't come across in academic settings. So it's not I care and I'm trying and I swear I'm not apathetic um, and I appreciate the work they're doing. I think also it's like a mutual relationship with teachers. Sometimes it's sort of, sometimes it's student-centric and it's all about their needs, but I think sometimes professors aren't really appreciated enough for how much they care. So sort of like a, we care, everyone cares. Everyone cares. Yeah. Thank you so much, Helen, Thank you. for joining me. This was a great conversation. That was wonderful. Thank you for visiting Office Hours. Office Hours, a podcast, is a production of Dr. Marsha Chatlin and Alex Tyson. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and only the speakers. Join us on social media, on Twitter at Office Hours Pod, and on Instagram on Office Hours Podcast.